That's, that's, so are we supposed to look at the camera the whole time? Or am I supposed to look at you? <laughs> just chat with me. I don't really know what I'm doing. You're, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> doing <laughs> okay, well, Farrell. Um, we're already recording, so this is going to be in the pre-show. I'm fucked. Welcome to the Reticle Up Podcast, where I, Three Gun Kenzie, will be interviewing competitive shooters, hunters, fishermen, archers, entrepreneurs, and outdoorsmen. Come learn with me as I interview people from all walks of life, in different disciplines, all across the world, from novices to professionals of all ages. No matter what, everyone has something they can teach you. So come join me on the journey. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Red Club Podcast. We are live in Dothan, Alabama. And I'm sitting down with my buddy, Carl Stevens, who has um, stepped up to the role as RM here for Alabama Sexual. This is your first RM match. You are talking really fast. Okay, I'm from the South. Gotta keep up. I, I almost didn't hear anything you just said. <laughs> like ridiculously fast. I don't even know how to answer the question okay, you asked. This is the first time that you're RMing officially. Officially, no, officially. no, no, definitely not officially. Uh, first time RMing the Alabama sectional, yeah. Okay. Um, but RMing, no, I've RMed uh, South Florida sectional, Florida Open a couple times, Florida State. After uh, your credential. Oh, okay. I'm not up with the times. Yeah, You've been around with, a little bit. Get with <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, going back, when did you even buy in like USBSA in general? Um, uh, during a, a period in my like late twenties, um, I had like a huge life change, and one of the things that I decided to do was just try out a bunch of stuff. So I had a friend of mine who wanted to go shoot a match. Um, dragged me to an IDPA match, which was awful. <laughs> really fun. Um, shot it and found out that I enjoyed the competition and the sport, but I hated the rule set. So we were talking to some people there and they recommended USBSA. So we did a Google search for USB USBSA matches. And I found uh, the little local club that I'm still kind of in charge of today. Um, and it's kind of been history ever since. Just kind of spirals. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Did you immediately like volunteer to help <laughs> at your local club? Not initially, because I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. I, it wasn't even that I didn't know what I was doing, it's that I didn't realize that there was such a little barrier of entry to get into helping. So <laughs> I would show up and I would kind of do stuff. Um, once I figured out that it was... All hands on deck? Yeah, it was kind of like, you don't need to know a whole lot, you just need to kind of pitch in and help a little bit and ask questions and slowly people will kind of show you the right way to do things. And ever since then, um, yeah, I've been getting further and further into the sport as far as match management and running matches and <laughs> all that fun stuff. And you do PRS matches, USPSA. Uh, what else do you do at your local Or those are the two that you manage mostly? Uh, so our, I like to say that our like little local club is, is USPSA-ish. Uh, George Jones will, will chastise me a little bit when <laughs> I took my CRO course years ago. Um, but it was a, the, the design of it was to show up as a brand new shooter. Um, we follow, for the most part, the USPSA safety rules, but the equipment rules are, are non-existent. It's kind of just show up, run what you brought on Monday night. And nice. It's just a competition of guys who like to shoot. Just um, guys. <laughs> Rude. Some, some, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are some women, but like most of USPSA, we uh, unfortunately yeah. have a, a few older gentlemen that like to uh, take on the role of uh, the patriarch and try to tell women how to do things. And the, the normal thing that I would love to see changed, but yeah. Yeah, 
So do they actually show up? No candles? No, we have some. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, we have a few. Um, most of them are pretty thick skin because, like I said, you have to be yeah, to even make it like two weeks into this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. One of the things I'd love to see change. I'd definitely love to see that change because it, it makes it it makes it difficult to bring people that you either care about or friends or whatever it is that um, aren't a forty year old white man or whatever <laughs> it is. Right. It's like how do you how do you get people into the sport yeah. if there's this automatic resistance as soon as they get to the match? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so. For you, did you start in open shooting in general? No. No, I wish I would have. Uh, but I started in production because I figured that was, yeah, that was like, you know, I, I carry a gun. So for me, it was I want to shoot kind of what I carry. Mm -hmm. uh, from there, it was like, okay, I want to get into race guns. So then I got a limited gun. So you uh, start with a revolver? <laughs> <laughs> no. But I probably should have with how bad I was. Um, <laughs> Had to. It was, it was there. It was there. Okay. How do you not carry your revolver? <laughs> you're uh, you're between the millennial and the boomer, and I still don't know what age age group you're in. I am. I'm 36, going on 70. Yeah, no, we know. <laughs> if you're watching this, you can see how thick it is. They're not even thick. They're not like cheaters. I'm actually. Good name off. Now you can't see anything. Um, okay, so revolver. <laughs> Yeah, production to limited, uh, and then this guy, unfortunately he passed away, but this guy mm -hmm. that used to shoot at our club uh, put a, a CZ checkmate in my hands, and I shot that and realized that I could see the targets, <laughs> and the dot appeared on the target, uh, and that was forever a game changer. Yeah. It was like a light bulb went off, and it, I suddenly went from way below mid-pack shooter <laughs> to I can run around and shoot, yeah. so, and that was kind of a, a, a big difference for me. Nice. Okay, so limited. What was like your highest classification that you got? I think B. Yeah. I think I was like limited 10B. Okay. And I was like limited C. <laughs> and I, the last time I shot those classifiers was like 2016. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't. Okay, so open. It's a good thing. Uh, how, how long did it take you to move up to GM? And was that your goal from the get-go or were you just like trying to figure it out? No, I never really, I, you know, it's weird because a lot of people have goals and I have a lot of respect to people that push themselves really, really far in the sport and try to get it as far as possible. Um, for me, it was never about getting to GM. It was never about any of that stuff. It was just about, for me, it's always been having fun. Yeah. Like, am I having fun? If I, if I don't have fun in doing something. You got to quit. <laughs> I, yeah, I just don't do it. Yeah. Um, so that's ultimately what it boiled down to is for me, I, I looked at it was, is this fun? Um, and as I progressed through uh, classifications, I, I was still having fun and I made it, um, I made it to, I think, master with, uh, CZ Checkmate. And, um, I think that was about as far as I could have taken that platform. Okay. Uh, there, I think it's a great open gun, but I do, do think there are some limitations as far as what you can do with the gun. Um, and so I had some conversations with CZ USA about possibly shooting for him. Uh, when all that kind of fell through, um, I went back and talked to a, a good friend of mine who I had been recommending for years, Art Jensen with Axiom Custom Guns, and he was like, dude, you've always got a spot on my team. Awesome. And it took me like all of 30 seconds to be like, <laughs> all right, build me a gun. You know what I mean? Why not? So once I got that gun in my hands, uh, I started taking things a little bit more seriously. Yeah. Still trying to have as much fun as possible if you ever see me on the range. I'm usually always smiling. Um, usually. Usually. 
depends on what. You got to see him on the two days before the match. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure we will cover that on the, the RM side of the world. Um, but it was um, that was that was it. I, I got that gun, and, and things forever changed for me. Uh, took a great class with JJ. Um, I've talked with and had some really really good shooters in in my general area, and almost went from, I want to say either A-class or low master to GM in a matter of like less than a year. That's awesome. Like it, was, it was pretty quick, um, but it was, it, I don't think it could have been done without Moving stepping, up, yeah, stepping up to it. Been done. Yeah. Now, like, when did you dive into like reloading and doing all that stuff? Like pretty early on? Yeah, pretty much from day one. I, I don't think that, uh, I especially production. I mean, at the time, ammo wasn't super expensive, but it was to the point I'm, I'm super fiscally responsible <laughs> as much as you allow this. Um, I started reloading almost from the beginning because I just looked at it as a pure dollars and cents. How, how many rounds do I have to load a year? Mm -hmm. How much do I have to shoot before it negates the cost of a reloading machine? And then I, all that stuff. That's awesome. The numbers guy. So. Okay, did you grow up and like, did you go to college? Did you get an education? Did you get, like, what did you do with your life to get you to this point? Because your resume now is pretty impressive. Like, uh, it is. I, this is a terrible, this is a terrible question. I love it. This is a terrible question. You want to know this. Um, high school Fine. dropout. <laughs> yeah, high school dropout. Uh, got my GED with a almost perfect score because I, I just hated school in general. Mm -hmm. Um, wanted to get into college quickly because that was the path that my mother chose. <laughs> I made it all three days in college. I think I learned how to like, I, I learned how to really? distill vodka. Um, and that was it. That was, that was what I got from college. Was like you can take pop-up vodka, run it through a Brita filter and it tastes better. And that was it. That's all I got from college. And do you still do that today when you drink your vodka? I'm just curious. You can afford the real stuff? I don't drink vodka. <laughs> But I made it like a, a whopping three days. It was okay. not my scene. Um, I didn't like the repetitiveness of you had to take, you know, base courses to get to your actual, actual specialty. Yeah. That was just stupid for me. So I made it three days and anything that I've ever wanted to learn, I just kind of taught myself anyway. So I, I didn't really see a need for it. Yeah. What have you done with your life? Hmm. Uh, pretty much from when I was 16 until I was 30. Um, I had like a random job sprinkled in the mix, but I was a professional poker player for the vast majority of my life and did pretty well. Heck yeah. How did you learn all that? Forced myself to learn. Do you count cards? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't count cards. I think in my lifetime, I've spent thousands and thousands and thousands of hours in casinos. I used to spend eight weeks in Vegas every summer. Wow. Uh, I think I played blackjack twice in my life. Really? And it was like when we were drunk waiting to get into a show. <laughs> okay. And that was it. That's I've not never, your game. Yeah, I've never played any other casino game. I've never played slots. Are you never, serious? Yeah, I don't do any of that stuff. What's your sunglasses of choice? I don't wear sunglasses at the casino. Do you really? Ooh. So people don't make me smile like I do. <laughs> no, actually, I have. that's my favorite part. So I play, I play a lot of live poker. That's Jamie. That's Jamie. Wave to the camera, Jamie. Um, so JB is actually here with me where I'm, I'm arming uh, Alabama sectional and he's my, my stats guru. If you guys need a stats guy, pay him well. He's worth yeah. it. 
Yeah. Um, as you can see, all the stuff laid out. The so it's pretty funny, actually. Poor JV. So what match? Oh, Florida sectional. I planned to go like what 48 hours in advance. So I was like, yeah, I'm gonna come. And JV's on social media. He can join in, by the way. And um, he's like, wait, but you're I'm coming sure to my match? And he goes, he goes. Hang on, you're coming to my match, but I don't see you on my uh, on my uh, score tablets here. I was like, yeah, you can add me in, right, JV? <laughs> he got me. He knows me. Everything's, everything's said. It's like, yeah, I know a guy. He's the best. From social media into the match, y'all. <laughs> Gen Z. I know. Gen Z. Actually, it's a compliment. I'll take Gen Z. <laughs> but JV's man. Uh, so, RMing. RMing. As well. Okay, were you done with the... The blackjack poker. <laughs> I don't even remember where we were. Well, you just being yourself, not wearing sunglasses, laughing. Yeah, so the, that's the beauty of it. So I actually started in, in like the live poker arena. Um, I played a lot in smaller games and then graduated up to bigger games. Played some of the highest stakes in the country. What's the buy-in at that level? Oh, uh, there, was, there was a lot. Um, <laughs> the game that I built the majority of my wealth in was a game in West Palm Beach, um, which was about three hours from my house, and it was a 25-25-50 three-game mix, and the minimum buy-in was 5000 Nice. Okay. So most of the time, the game revolved, he's passed away now, but most of the time, the, guy revolved, the game revolved around one guy, and he would come in and lose 30, 50 grand a day. Ooh. Every day. It was that bad. He didn't care. He was a billionaire. That's true. That's so true. it was... The running joke was every single time he would suck out on somebody, suck out for poker terms means essentially like he would have the worst hand going in and he would make a better hand. Okay. The running joke that he would always say is like when people get pissed off at him is, I made more than that before I woke up this morning. Oof. Which is... It is true. It's true. Yeah. The haters are always the ones that are less successful than people. Yeah. For the most part. Uh, that's cool though. Like, so have you been on TV? Would you I have. Seen you? Yes. So, yeah, it was like, I want to say like the 2000... 2005 main event when I, I very very rarely played tournaments. So I'm a cash game specialist. The majority of what I would do was go out to Vegas, and it's like the difference between badminton and tennis. Like yes, they both involve rackets. Yes, they both involve nets. But the game is fundamentally different. Mm -hmm. And the World Series of Poker, when it's when it was you know that summer, um, it was a lot of tournament players. So people would travel from all over the world, wow. come to Vegas for that summer, and they would play tournaments. Unfortunately. When they get knocked out of tournaments, they would come into kind of my arena, which is cash games, which is a fundamentally different game. And that's where I just would make a Crush them. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't go in there. It's like I didn't play a lot of tournaments. Um, every now and then I would play like a main event or like a couple $1,500 buy-in events. Just a um, couple. Yeah. <laughs> well, the minimum buy-in for some of those tournaments is like $1,000. So like the small buy-in tournaments. A pistol here and a pistol there. <laughs> 21 <laughs> Okay. I guess if you look, yeah, if you look at it as far as like money, yeah, it was a lot. It's a lot of money, but at the same time, it's you like it back. that's the job. That's kind of required if you're if you're going to if you're going to do it for a living. Yeah, um, I always said like the minimum to do it for a living is like two five no limit, where a buy-in is essentially a thousand dollars. Yeah. So if you don't have a certain padding where you can afford to gamble, yeah. Gamble. <laughs> Um, but to, to weather the storm, right? Because yeah. you're not going to win every single session. A lot of people make the mistake of having too small of a bankroll. Yeah. Um, and they get themselves in financial trouble. So if you're not able to play some of those events um, just because of your financial standing, then you don't really stand a good chance of making the money that actually matters. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever play overseas, like go international? I did. I played in Ireland. I played in England. What? Played, yeah. You have a cool life. 
catacoolic. Now, I'm really, now I'm really just like a busybody that like runs around and runs matches. <laughs> is it still fun to run matches, or are we teetering on the curve of this is not that fun? No, actually, I love running matches. Okay. Um, I love, I'll, and I'll preface that with saying I love running matches for people that actually care. There you go. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad, like we're out here now for Drew's match, uh, Drew Coleman, Alabama sectional. Which and I would not be here without Drew leading exactly. the charge. Everybody will work for Drew. Those are the, those are the type of people that the sport needs. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't have those type of people that are truly passionate about it, then it just winds up being kind of like a <laughs> miserable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it, it doesn't it doesn't reflect well on the sport in general. So yeah. I love working for people like that that, that actually care about the sport. Um, they put a lot of their time and energy into it, and they, you can tell that they are truly passionate versus somebody who's just doing it and going through the motions. Well, and then, like, again, if you look at Drew, I won't speak for myself or anything here, but no, like, the staff that he has assembled yeah. are really, 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 really good people. That They do care. They do come out volunteer. They are very hardworking. Like, I would work with any of these ROs this match. You know, again, Drew. Drew kind of built the culture here in Dothan. Yeah. Yeah, I think that speaks volumes for him. Um... I haven't actually tried up here before. This is my first time up at the up at the club at all. The grassy um, course of Dolphin. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. It's like Wimbledon. It's bougie. This is the best dude. Yeah, Wimbledon. Is it Wimbledon that's tennis. I don't know anything about it. I thought anymore. that's the hard court. You know what? We are not qualified. JB, Google this. <laughs> I need my stats guy though. <laughs> What's the Wimbledon? Is it grass? Is it oh he's got scoggies. What's the grass course? <laughs> Wimbledon. See? Oh we were right-ish. I would have wanted We weren't confident. We Some of the others are clay. Yeah. yeah, Wimbledon is grass. Okay, so this is, this Dothan is the grass Wimbledon. Yes, this is the grass course of Dothan. <laughs> yeah, you never got. I mean, we, we were out here, and Dan, who owns the range, he's like out there aerating and, and fertilizing and like hand snipping the grass. It was great. You know, he, was yeah, but he was hand treating fire ants today. Yeah. Oh yeah, but you know what happens if you uh, mess up something of his? Whew. You get the fire ant killer. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, RMA. So. Why did you make that decision to RM and go through that program? And what was the program like? Like for people who don't know, I want to know the process. Oh boy. How, yeah, the application to the actual process to like the finishing. What does that look like? Uh, I'll start with why. Um, the biggest reason why is because I started off, you know, doing ROing. Um, saw some things that ultimately I became an RO because I saw some things that I wanted to change, um, make better. Like and what? It was mostly just so Florida, especially, right? I, I shoot down in Florida, and we have what's the PC? We, I have a we have we have a, a, a an aging population of ROs. I love them. Oh, God, do I love them. I love them. But we we have some ROs that they just they can't move, right? And and it's it's no fault of their own. Like they're the ones with the most time. They're retired. They still love the sport. For the most part, most of them don't get into the sport until much later in life, anyways. Yeah, and when they have money. Us, yeah. And those of us that love it, dive into it. So yeah. they get to dive into it, they get to help, and they are 100% appreciated. But when it comes to like massive field courses and stuff like that, yeah. I constantly found myself overrunning ROs. I constantly found myself you know, at a local level finding some decisions and, and rulings and stuff like that that weren't 100% correct. I would go find later that they weren't correct. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I'll just go get my RO certification. That way I can better help. Did that for a little while, shot a couple of big matches, and then I would see the same thing from a stage manager's perspective, where you don't see stages managed correctly. It's not necessarily just running shooters. There's so much on the back end from a CRO perspective that wasn't being done. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, I can probably do that. So I just went and got my CRO certification. <laughs> um, 
worked a bunch of major matches as CRO, helped run matches with Shannon Smith, um, and Dan Bernard, who is like the primary uh, RM in, in my area, uh, I think when I was really diving into it pretty heavily, he was working every single match. Yeah. Um, and anybody that's done this for a fair amount of time knows that you get burnt out pretty quick. Very fast. If you're doing it almost every single weekend, you're in you know different towns, running different matches, working with different crews. It is very, very difficult work. Yeah. Uh, and I could I could see that. And had I known then that somebody else was going to step up and also do it, which is Mike Howell, I probably wouldn't have. But I looked at it as we have Dan Bernard who puts you know, his heart and soul into running stuff, and not a lot of people come down and help us. Well, he needs kind of that support system. Mm -hmm. So if he's not able to work a match, we don't have to fly in somebody who <laughs> we might not want down here. Yeah. Um, so I went through the program, um, ultimately it, it was, I think I was a CRO at Classic Nationals like two or three years ago, whatever it was, mm -hmm. and we had a few guys that were working for me on Saturday that then wanted to shoot the match Sunday. We had like a weird funky thing where we didn't have a lot of staff and we didn't have a lot of shooters, so they allowed like a split. So somehow Sunday, I wound up with no RFs. <laughs> so I'm the CRO of the stage. Uh, Troy McManus stepped up and was my RO. <laughs> Interesting when you're a CRO telling DRNOI what to do as far as the stage goes. That was, that was a very humbling experience. Um, and so we were kind of, we had like a ghost squad randomly through the day and he asked me if I had considered going through the RM program. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's been on my radar. Um, I, I want to get a little bit more experience. I might consider it later. He's like, no, <laughs> no, you should apply this year. And I'm like, well, I don't really know if I have time next year, but no, you should apply this year. Uh, I did. Um, and the rest is kind of history. Uh, started in January and 2021, 2021. Yeah. Kevin Emmel was my, uh, range master instructor. Um, and I had never met Kevin before because he lives in Washington, if I'm not mistaken. And total polar opposite in the country. Uh, we hadn't really ever worked matches together. Um, but I went into it with the idea of, okay, I can work these matches and can I get it done in time? Mm -hmm. And fortunately, he, you know, he kind of responded back with, well, you can, but it, it's reliant on you. Yeah. Um, so I went in, I basically dropped everything I was doing. I mean, 100% dropped everything I was doing and I dedicated basically full work days. So it was eight hours a day, five or six days a week to getting through the program. Huh. Um, and got through it. I got through all of the, the coursework in a little over three months. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of coursework. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that there's, there's back and forth. They do a great job of vetting people as yeah. far as, um, you know, they'll always say like ROs operating black and white. CROs start to see the gray and RMs, you don't really get called until there is pure gray. Yeah. Like you kind of show up and there is no, it, it's like the Supreme Court, right? Like you, there is, there isn't an exact law that covers it and you kind of have to pigeonhole and, and find stuff that works specifically yeah. uh, beyond the normal RM stuff of actually setting up matches correctly. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you don't get called for rulings and stuff like that until there isn't an exact rule that is clearly defined. Yeah. Um, so they do a really good job of vetting people and making sure that A, you can handle the stress, not just from a competitor standpoint, but from a lot of different standpoints. The, the rules themselves, you have to be solid in the rules, you have to be somewhat of a customer service oriented person. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, let me tell you how many times. Somewhat. Let me tell you how many times I've been yelled at in multiple languages. Um, Do you know the signs for Ipsic? Like, of course. I'm just making sure. Yeah, of course. That's a whole That's other language. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to Canada to go get my CRO certification, and apparently they, they did not think that I was good enough. <laughs> they didn't think I was good enough because I disagreed because the CRO instructor misquoted a rule, and I waited. Told him afterwards, and I said, "Hey, I don't, I don't think that was right." And he said, "No, no, no, it was." And then he, no, it was right. So I just dropped it. And then I get back to America. America. I get back to America. I get back to America, and uh, I get I get a, a letter. I forget the guy's name. Who no runs way. Runs Canada and says that uh, so and so didn't feel I was qualified to be a CRO for Gibson. Yeah. For calling out leadership. Yeah. Mm. I don't know if it was for calling out leadership or maybe, maybe it was because I didn't stand up to him. I don't know. Sure. I didn't really know a lot. Uh, I went up there to go shoot a match with uh, a good buddy of mine, Carmine Pirelli, and Ipsic Alex runs matches in that area. Yeah. And Ipsic Alex needed extra CROs up that way. Okay. And I was like, well, I'll always come up here as long as you're paying. And who wouldn't? <laughs> um, now you can't get there and back, maybe? I mean, it's a border. Obviously, people can get through. Uh, <laughs> it's not with all the rules. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's a border. <laughs> All right. So you passed RM program. Yep. And like, were you excited? Just kind of like, meh, or were you like, is that a big deal? Yeah, it's a huge accomplishment. Um, I think at the time there was like twenty-eight RMs, mm -hmm. uh, and that includes some of the, the like the legacy RMs that have been in that you know in ROI for a very very long time that don't do as much. So, okay. um, not saying that obviously like sure. they maintain it. But it's very, very difficult. It's a lot of work to fly out a couple days early, set up a match, do all that stuff. From an RM perspective, having a you need that succession where you have younger people coming in and oh, people yeah. that are able to take the time. That's anything. Yes. That is anything to last. So yeah, it was it was definitely exciting. Um, I was really, really humbled by the fact that I made it through so fast, and they had so much faith in me to get through the program. Um, but yeah, it was, it was I, I, I guess I broke a few records, which was cool. The one that was obviously most important to me was being the first ever GMR. Yeah. Um, because I would say, like, there's a lot of really, really good shooters that like to pitch ideas and, and do all this stuff. And that's great. Uh, the problem is they don't necessarily have the working side of the sport yeah. to understand that what they're pitching doesn't always compute. Like, it, it doesn't work. Like, what they're pitching just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. Great pitch ideas all you want, but for at least like get the experience to understand what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, or step up, run a local match, run, right. run an area match, run, you know, do anything, right? Do anything. You're, you're younger. <laughs> yeah. You're younger. You should. <laughs> do anything. Do anything. <laughs> I just see the stick. That's terrible. That's terrible. Okay. No, but it really, that, that's ultimately the way it is, right? There are some very, very, very qualified shooters that understand from a shooter how matches should be run. Yeah. But they never step up and do it. Okay. Do you think that everybody that has a USPSA membership, pros, not pros, should step up and volunteer in some capacity? Or you feel like it's just kind of whoever has time and energy? I don't think so. Because uh, there are some people, this is going to sound terrible, <laughs> but there are some people that just, they, they don't grasp the, the management side of the sport. Yeah. There's there's running matches, there's ROing, there's stuff like that. Some people just want to show up, spend their entertainment dollars and go home. Yeah. And that's fine, but you have to have um, an entry fee or take care of staff in a way that reflects that. Yeah. Because if we only have people to show up to spend money, 
But we're not going to make anybody do exactly. Yeah. And there's nobody. So you have to have a younger core of people coming up through not only the shooting ranks, but also through the NROI and, and more mm -hmm. than the matches ranks. What do you think that USBSA is failing at right now, though, for people wanting to, the younger people? Like, what are we doing wrong to not be welcome to having them in there? I think one of the hardest things for a lot of young people, not many people are in like my financial situation. Yeah. So it, it's really difficult for people to spend an entire you know, two, three days traveling to a match, <laughs> then working a match, and then flying home on a Monday. So you, you've probably got three or four days yeah. paid time off. Um, that's difficult for a lot of people. Yeah. And some of the compensation packages just don't warrant young people taking that much time off. They're trying to build their lives. And yeah. it's, it's almost the complete incorrect thing to do from a financial standpoint mm -hmm. to just give up that much money from a work perspective to come and work for peanuts. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, most of it, yeah, most, I don't think I've ever, ever made any money. Oh, I never make money. Yeah, it's, it's always, like, I, you just hope to offset as much cost as possible and, you know, you get to shoot a match for free, which is cool. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, it's, you know, you're probably spending, it, let's say it's $1,000, you get back, you know, X amount of it. it so yeah. the, you definitely don't get back anywhere near what you spend. Um, and that hasn't changed in USBSA as far as like inflation stuff too. Like it's been the same $25 a day for <laughs> <Sure>, food. <laughs> well, keep in mind, like a lot of that stuff is, is covered. Um, I don't, I don't think there's, there's two trains of thoughts that you can, you can give them per diem. You can do that stuff mm -hmm. or like, you can just give them a flat fee. Yeah. Like don't even, don't even waste time because some people are much better at spending money than others. Some people <laughs> are better at buying, you know, sandwiches and, and making sandwiches and bringing that's all you. No, yeah, my color. Um, so some people are better at, at you know, grocery shopping and spending yeah. the money correctly. So if you just gave them X amount of dollars that covers travel expenses, food, all that stuff, just alcohol, cigars, and a strip club. <laughs> you may have that. I mean, that may happen, but that's that's part of the discretionary fund. Right. <laughs> so like, when I was in college, I have to tell this funny story. Um, I'm a Harry Potter nerd, and we were, um, I think we were probably in our 20s, and we were going down to help these actual youth students or whatever, and we got this, like, $175 stipend for two days, we're like, yeah! And then we had to ask our advisor, can we go to Harry Potter World early? He's like, you gotta, like, chaperone the dance, whatever, and it's, like, 10 o'clock. Can we leave yet? And finally gave us the green light, we both <laughs> and our whole $175 was gone on Harry Potter World and Halloween Horror Nights, and it was awesome. JB is the best person ever. Mm. Cigar. And we need, we got alcohol, we got cigar. We got beer. Strip club. <laughs> you don't want to go to strip club in Alabama. No, um, I'm from Lower Alabama. Uh, so, you are running for Area 6 Director 2023? Yes. Okay. Um, what are some things you want to talk about that you represent for USCSA? What are some changes you'd like to see? What are the things that you're working towards? What is your campaign based on, Kyle? You gotta have something. That's a terrible question. This was this was not supposed to be a campaign <laughs> thing here. at all. I, I have to know. <laughs> most of the time I have I helped him write his letter. It's true. His announcement. So uh, his most, campaign manager. <laughs> campaign manager. <laughs> <laughs> working for yes. Working for and water. $25 per diem. Um, <laughs> couch. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, the fundamental things ultimately boil down to, uh, I think there should be a lot of transparency as far as what goes on in the USPSA. I think for the most part, even if you wanted to go find it now, you 
can't really find out what happens. At meetings, like when it's just a blank yeah. paper and, and there, voted. And yes, but yeah, no, there are certainly times when you have to have executive sessions. Yeah. Right, when you're discussing financials, legal matters, stuff like that. War codes. You, yeah, you 100% have to keep that stuff <laughs> private. Yeah. And, and I think that's where most people get mixed up is you can't have just everything wide open yeah. in public because now you're putting the entire organization at risk liability-wise. Yeah. What should be is like when we talk about rules discussions, uh, we've got actually like an entire rules audit going on right now within the RM group. Um, rules discussions, when you're talking about division requirements, all that stuff, anything anything that involves the membership directly should be 100% public. That yeah. way, like if you happen to miss it or if you're out of the game for a little bit and you want to get back in and you want to see what's happened, yeah. all, that should, all that should be videoed, cataloged, easy to find. Yeah. Um, they may go... And then you can transcribe a lot of things just by clicking a button. Yeah, of course. So. Um, the other big, big thing for me is um, obviously women and minorities have been the two biggest new gun owners in the last few years. And we do virtually zero to market to them. Yeah. Um, it'd be nice to see even some, some normal like marketing efforts towards that, whether it's advertising dollars, whatever it is. But we could even do stuff like grassroots organizations where like NRA in the beginning, like when you can go to gun clubs and stuff like that and say, hey, look, we'll give you, you know, our membership is $35 for the base membership. We'll give you 15 bucks. Yeah. That way we're still getting, as an organization, we're still getting 20 bucks, but we're getting a new member and we're giving them 15. That way they have an incentive to push people towards us. Yeah. Or just awareness. I still think there's a lot. We're in a closed group of people. Gun people only talk to gun people for the most part. Yeah. And it's just, we're not going to bring new people in with, with that. But even if you go to an indoor gun club, like there, there's very, very few people in there that know what USPSA is. Oh, I have no idea. Um, and that's where I think ultimately, like having somebody, like a media relations guy or whatever it is that reaches out to individual. <laughs> this is this is me rolling my eyes in case you can't see it. <laughs> the people that know me can totally feel that. A media relations person. person Who do you identify as? Like, they, them, there. Yeah. Yeah. Media relations. We're going to get in trouble over this. Right? 100%. Yeah, 100%. And especially if I keep drinking. Um, <laughs> a media relations person that reaches out to gun clubs, that reaches out to ranges of all sorts, mm -hmm. and talks to them, hey, look, if you guys want to increase you know, some of your bottom line, we're basically giving out free money. Just tell people about us. If they sign up through your code, then we'll send you money. Yeah. That way, USPSA benefits greatly from it. Even if we get the membership, like anybody who runs the numbers for USPSA will tell you the majority of the, the money made for USPSA, USPSA is not necessarily from the activity fees or anything like that. It's from the membership. Yeah. So if we get more members in, we get more money. So when you were getting started, like taking us all the way back, I think getting into shooting is the most overwhelming thing I've ever done in my life. I dove in head straight. Like I I had the, the luxury of having a pistol team in college. And like without that, I never would have signed up for the stupid Glock match I shot. And then... USPSA was at that club, and I found about three gun and cowboy, right? Spirals. Yeah. But when you think about the newest person, especially like uh, women and minorities coming to an intimidating sport that's male dominated, they don't know what gun, what gear, what questions. They don't want to be condescended towards either. They want mentors and welcome people. How would someone even start? I think there's like what you're talking about grassroots initiative of them doing a class. What yeah. is borrowing gear, having gear ready? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So. I can really only speak for myself, yeah. but what I try to do is impart a lot of what I've done with other people. Mm -hmm. So like anything I've won over the years, I have like a giant- I have a tub, like, a yeah, box. Yeah, two or three <laughs> total cool stuff. Someone's like, do you have um, any holsters? 
Yeah. Which color? Pickle I, or blue? That was just, that was two days ago. And they're like, I'm not borrowing that. I'm like, but it's a good one. <laughs> and lime pink. Sorry, good. Well, I still so I still go back to the very first club that I started at USPSA ish club in Short Jones. Ish. Um, the USPSA ish club that I I kind of first went to, and I still go back as that person. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to have that person that goes back. And I don't really care about the scores there. I don't care about that. My job there, my role at that club is to take people who are looking to get into the sport, mm -hmm. teach them about the sport, and if they want to take it further, I help them. Yeah. Now, I, I understand that is 100% my role. I, it does not matter about scores. Yeah. Yes, I build stages. Yes, I help with the match organization stuff, but that's not the important stuff. The important stuff is making sure that when a friend brings a friend, they know, hey, go talk to Kyle. Mm -hmm. And I always have a tub of gear. I always have a ton of stuff. But it's it's to get them involved in the sport, and if they want to take it further, when they actually go and get a membership, great. Yeah. If not, and they try the sport and they decide it's not for them, okay. Yeah. But at least they had somebody try. to talk to yeah. versus showing up. And like I, I always tell this story. I won't say who the GM is, but I'll always <laughs> tell the story of like my first like legit level one match that I went to. You know, I went on all the internet forums, I tried all that stuff, and they were always, oh, you know, just go up to your local GM and ask him questions. <laughs> and I remember, you know showing up helping in the morning mm -hmm. um and i asked uh, the master director you know who, who's the best guy here they pointed to him he was over there walking the stage so i walk over and i see him doing stuff and he had headphones on and stuff like that so i was kind of waiting until he was done and as soon as he was done like about to walk away i was like hey excuse me like i saw you doing this but that that doesn't make sense why didn't you do this and he just looked at me <laughs> And walked away. Beeline away. <laughs> like not even beeline. Just like looked at me like I was like nothing. And just walked away. And I was just like, Oh, that's great. That's not what I've read on the internet. Really. It just happened. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's on the internet. It must be true. Yeah, I thought you were supposed to be helpful. <laughs> this guy hates me. Oh. Um. So I, I told myself I never want to be that guy. Right. You make it through the level. And you don't even have to be that good of a shooter. Right. Yeah. If you understand the sport. If you understand how the scoring works, if you understand all that, the, the fundamentals, you can help people. And that's the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, USPSA is in a little of a chaos right Dude, now. Yeah. Just a little bit. Welcome. To, yeah. It's area six, but nationwide. That's basically what it is right now. Called it out. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, like what are your thoughts just on all of this going on right now? And how do we get to this point? Part of me loves it. Yeah. Because people are actually stepping up. And I think that's what's been missing for the last few years. It's a lot of the people that are very, very qualified shooters that care about the sport that didn't care. Mm -hmm. And now they do. And I think that's great. Mm -hmm. I think that is, that's probably the best thing for the sport is for people who actually care about the sport to step up. I don't care what it is, but if you're qualified, you should step up. The other part of me hates it because it takes away from the fun of the sport. Yeah. It's almost the reason why I didn't run. Like I didn't I didn't want to run for area six at all because I'm worried it'll take away from the fun. Yeah. If, you know, if I have to if I have to cater to to, to all the nonsense that happens and it, it doesn't allow me to enjoy what I'm doing, I know myself well enough that I'll just walk away. Yeah. And I don't want to walk away from the sport because I enjoy it too much. Yeah. What made you step up? People telling you to step up? Yeah. Part of that is there were, you know, some people that I really highly respect. Uh, I forget which nationals You're was welcome. that. I don't know. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie's even laughing. <laughs> 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 
God, I'm excited. You need to be ready. I'm excited. So, <laughs> if, if you work a major match, you work a for me, your relations services are also for sale. Relations <laughs> services. Right. Um, ultimately, so at, at any major match, right? You're you're sitting around after the match, and and you know the ROs get together, and we all at least have one or two beers over a tailgate. And one or two. That's a little bloke out. If you're with the right crew, one or it's one or two before you leave. Um, That's so wrong. That's so wrong. Um, but we were, you know, we were sitting around a tailgate having a beer one night, and. A couple of people brought it up that I, I really, really respect in the sport. Um, and so I kind of, I'm joking, you know, I was like, nah, that's not <laughs> Well, they pushed it a little bit more. So I said, you know what, at least I'll, I'll explore it. Yeah. Um, the time commitment. Yeah. And, and I have a fair amount of experience. Um, besides poker, I kind of I kind of stepped away from poker full time when I was 30 and focused a lot more on starting businesses, investing in businesses, um, and Talk stuff about like that. Those. What did you do? Like, I know you had a food truck. Yeah, so for the business for the business side, I've I've just done a lot of stuff to get away from poker. Yeah, um, I've had a, an import company where I've imported rum barrels and sold them to breweries. I've had a food truck. I've had uh, now I have a charter business. Um, OnlyFans. Yeah, OnlyFans definitely. Um, a a debt consolidation company. I've had a, I've had a lot of companies over the years. Yeah. Um, and I've invested in a lot of companies. The last one majorly was a financial tech company. It was a, an app on um, both Android and Apple. Um, and I was on the advisory board there. So like I have, I kind of knew from the, the real world, right? The business, the actual for-profit world, how to run a business. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't have experience with was nonprofit. Yeah. Um, I was never really interested in nonprofit because it's nonprofit. It moved really slow. Yes. I've been working with them for seven years. Yes. So when they kind of brought that stuff up at nationals, I said, you know what, I'll, I'll do the research. Mm -hmm. um, so I reached out to a, some, some professional groups that I know, reached out to people who are actually presidents of either nonprofits or some sitting on the border and nonprofit. Mm -hmm. um, I've asked them a ton of questions. I've read a bunch of books on it. Um, tried to do as much research as I could. And as all the research that I've done, my skill set I think would work pretty well for it. Mm -hmm. um, what I think we have the biggest problem now isn't necessarily the organization itself, uh, I think where we're having problems is that a board of directors is supposed to do exactly that. They're supposed to direct. And right now it seems like it seems to be a, kind of a board of reaction. And board of, um, what was it called? Mm. When they all agree on the same stuff and just kind of be like, yeah. Uh, that's an interesting one. So if you've ever sat on a board, the majority of the stuff that's talked about and decided, you don't show up to a board meeting to vote until everybody comes to a consensus. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason for that is because it opens you up to litigation and stuff like that. So that I kind of take out of it, right? You, you do have a lot of people that agree on stuff and I can understand that, but it's probably because they agree and they've already had these discussions outside of a board meeting. What about the ones that give away their votes to other people's votes? That's frustrating. That's frustrating We too. voted them in and they can't even. Yes, that that, that is pretty sense. frustrating, uh, especially now with the way the technology is. It's, it's, it's a phone just call. Yeah. Um, it, it's understandable that it happens from time to time, but it shouldn't happen mm -mm. more than once a year mm -mm. at the very most. Mm -hmm. So where the, the for-profit and non-profit stuff, I spent a lot of time juggling the two and figuring out how my skill set would work in a non-profit just burned. Did. It was terrible. <laughs> It was yingling and steak. I mean, like, oh, I smelled and garlic. <laughs> Should be honey rolls from Texas Roadhouse. Cinnamon butter. Cinnamon butter from Texas Roadhouse. Yeah, that was that was there. Thank you. 
It's not my fault. <laughs> you blow that way. It was Russia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew this was going to be a man. <laughs> Jamie's just sitting over on the couch, just like, <laughs> you want your beer? It's still sitting in the fridge, Jamie. Oh, I was going to say, a good roommate would have had that where I didn't have to go oh, on camera to get the beer. Good oh. roommate. Good roommate. This, this, is, this is a very non not a very <laughs> We might leave this in here. Well, we need to make sure we do, though, in case you can't see. We've got all the tablets, all the printers. We can't spill. On the tablets because those are important to match. Gin and shit. She said it was she said it was supposed to be a, a non-formal podcast. Oh, absolutely. No, I was not talking about that. I don't think interruption, but I think we'll leave that in there. Or maybe put at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, serious about though, we were talking about nonprofits and profits, and you did your research. You talked to a lot of different organizations. So have you figured out the nonprofit world better? Yeah, actually, I think I have. Um, the, it's not too much of a difference from the for-profit. Yeah, um, but you have several different customers from different sides. Yes. Yeah, and the nice part is I've got a pretty good crew of people that I can I can bounce ideas off of. Yeah. So you're welcome. They're <laughs> they're much better in the in the nonprofit uh, world than I am in the for-profit world. Uh -huh. um, so anything I've got as far as you know our governance and stuff like that, I can kind of bounce ideas off of them. People are going to hate this podcast. Yeah, I know. I told you it was going to be boring. It's like, no, not boring. Uh, <laughs> I can't. Huh? Go ahead. Maybe you're welcome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, they're going to hate you. They no, don't no. Hate <laughs> Damn it. Um, anyways, for profit, non profit, blah, 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 blah. Yes. Okay. Uh, ultimately, it boils down to the business experience there. How are you answering uh, emails right now? Uh, I have an email set yet. <laughs> I feel like that was a very pointed question. Because I am your campaign manager. <laughs> I have a very, that's How a very point. constituents reach you? Uh, I've got a bunch. So you can reach me on <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, uh, or I have an email set up, stevensforha6 at gmail.com. Um, Only fans. Only fans, JB. <laughs> He's, he's my manager there. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Tomorrow's match. No, okay, serious. Tomorrow's our outside, and then we have the actual main match, which is not bad for Alabama sexual having just like two days. No, we have actually a lot of paid staff tomorrow. Yeah. So this that brings up that's that's the most difficult type of match to run. Yeah. It's it's much easier to run a match where you have a dedicated staff day and then all the staff are static and then dedicated paid shooters days. Um this, we, we didn't really have that option for this match. So we've got staff intermingled with paid ROs tomorrow. Oops, sorry. Oh, paid, shooters. paid shooters with ROs tomorrow. <laughs> We're which, not paid. <laughs> which, which makes things much more susceptible to problems. Yeah. Yeah. So today, most of today was spent mitigating any potential issue that could happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did we get it all? Tell you Sunday. Them and some. Sunday. Yeah, Sunday morning when I wake up and drive home. But we've got a really good crew. A really, really good crew. A really, really good crew. Uh, Drew Coleman at the helm for match director. Me, hopefully, doing a good job as RM. And, and JD always rocks the stats. So I, I don't see how it could go wrong. Um, you soak way too soon. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but what does all this look like for people that don't know? So this is the match directing side and the uh, the staff side. 
Uh, if you do it all yourself, good luck. Uh, the majority of the time, you, you need somebody who has a, a pretty good understanding of all this stuff. So you've got tablets, you've got backups, you've got printers, you've got battery banks. Uh, we've got paper backups. We've got plastic bags. Uh, yeah, plastic <laughs> bags for rain because it's going to rain tomorrow. There isn't any shadow of a doubt. Um, this is what happens on the back end. What a lot of this is yeah. why you bought clipboards. Yes. For yeah. that. Okay. What a lot of people don't see is the majority of the back end work that goes into a match. Yeah. And what I've always said is that um, the way that you can tell either a good RM or a good match director or a good staff guy, whatever it is, is you don't see or talk about them during the match. Yeah. You'll have your occasional call where it's like a scoring overlay call or a, a proper calibration or stuff like that, but that's not, that's, mm -hmm. that's standard. You won't, you won't see, if you see them for major issues, like illegal stages, stuff like that, problems. that's where the work wasn't done beforehand. So a lot of people say, okay, well, you know, the RM's over there sitting on his four-wheeler or whatever it is. It's like, well, yeah, it's because I was here two days before, walking stages multiple times, proofing right. everything, making changes so that things will run for 300 shooters without an issue. Uh, a lot of the back-end work that doesn't really get explained to a lot of people, that's where the that's where the bulk of the match is, and that's what makes our sport enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Out of every, every match that you've ever shot in your career, <laughs> what percentage do you think you actually had perfect sunshine weather? I live in Florida, it's always sunny. I'm 72. <laughs> no, not. No. I live in Florida, it rains all the time. Um, it's actually a pretty good chance. I think I think I'm, I'm I am pretty fortunate in that since I don't think I've had a lot. I mean, ninety percent rain. Hurricane. Really? Oh God! And you well, I mean, you're like you're like a walking Murphy. Like bring, yeah, bring the rain. <laughs> rain man. Yes. You're like a walking. It's Murphy. surprising. Like when I shot last weekend, I was like, "There's no rain and there's sun and it's nice." And, and she still hurt herself. Like ten percent. No, I went pre hurt. Pre-hurt. Pre-hurt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we digress. Digress. Would you ever shoot? Have you shot two gun? Yeah. We shot, shot three. two gun. I've, I've helped run. Actually, I worked. Was it two gun last year? Yeah, two gun was last. Two gun nationals. I did. Yeah, I CRO stayed last year. <laughs> two gun nationals. You work a lot of matches. You put this. All this stuff kind of blends together. That's why you have your work history forms because you fill those out and we're like it's really important that you need to go back and look at this unless stuff uh, Shannon doesn't put the match in and then you can't record your uh, work history that's me huh that sounds like a personal problem these are all well, I put them in from years ago JB oh, oh, years so we'll talk nothing. to Trent about that right um we digress okay so two gun how much fun was two gun <laughs> did you love two gun two gun was great except for the fact that we <laughs> shot four times as much ammo as I expected and Thanks, like Jake. All day in five seconds at the very end of the day. Four stages in five minutes, the rest in like hours. Two gun, actually, the entire experience of two gun was awesome. I, I, I will say that because it, it's a new format and it brings a lot of new people into the sport. That, that's filled up fast. Yeah, this I, year, I think I saw maybe 30% brand new people that yeah. I had never seen in USPSA at all. Yeah, yeah. And so, that is what it's about, right? You're bringing, you're kind of like combining like the old school three gun, but with two gun. Um, and it'd be really nice to have like a true multi-gun that operated in the yeah. same way where we could start bringing people back into the sport uh, and have a real rule set versus a lot of outlaw matches. That's kind of the reason why I got away from three guns because I would show up and uh, match stretches would just make up whatever I know, they wanted. I know. It's frustrating. So, I was talking about this two days ago when I had the 
the weird illegal stage that we talked about. Mm -hmm. um, but no, the reason, and it's true, is moving away from that. Like, Regan will sometimes use like a rule set in general, and then it'll be like match director's fault. Well, yeah, but we're outlaw. And we're outlaw, right? But like, then they'll, they won't separate the shooter from their personal. Yes. And then it's like, that's when things, uh, it's frustrating. Like you said, it's frustrating. I don't know what rules set, I don't know what's happening, and it's all discretionary. So I like, I appreciate USPSA when people deviate from the rules. But I'm like, where are we again? Yeah, and I think that's the that's actually the beauty of USPSA is you have a match director, and as soon as first shots are fired, they're no longer involved. Yeah. You have a dedicated rules person that is in charge of making sure that there is an unbiased mm -hmm. rules understanding person to make those decisions. Yeah. And that I think is is somewhat unique. I don't know a lot about IDPA, but every single time somebody has mentioned something about IDPA to me, it's always been the match director makes the decisions and it's always biased. Mm. And mm -hmm. I don't think that's the way it should be because mm -hmm. you have to have somebody who is completely unbiased, who can't let their emotions get mm -hmm. involved. And that's a lot of what the RM program does. It kind of, not necessarily teaches you, but it weeds out the people that let their emotions get involved in decisions versus people who can look at it in the grand scheme of things and say, well, here's the rule and not handle it and be a dick. <laughs> That's, well, kind of, that's well. the easiest way to say it. It's like there are some people, you, you may know the rule, but you don't handle it well. Mm -hmm. And then it just causes an escalation of emotion, and then you've got a major problem on your hand, and then it's just, we're off to the races. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, multi-gun. Multi-gun. How much have you shot multi-gun? I used to shoot a lot of three-gun, actually. Okay. Not multi-gun. Open, I used to shoot attack, limited? No, this is, this is when I was still horrible. Really bad. <laughs> so, like, now? Something like that. <laughs> Without the pistol? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> actually, no. Quad loads were always good. Um, I didn't shoot a, a box-fed shotgun, so like I actually had to work on my shotgun loads. Um, but I shot a fair amount of it. And like I said, the reason why I got away from it was because not only was there a lot of repetition in the stage designs, and in my local area, it was the same basic stage with almost every single month. Mm -hmm. And that, that really wears on you. Um, but it was the same thing. There wasn't an exact rule set to follow. So I think one of the things that USPSA could do a lot better is bringing in you know, three gun into multi gun mm -hmm. um, and just making a good rule set. Yeah. Um, the main problem we have is I think a lot of the rules people will say that they weren't written by people to shoot three gun. They weren't. Right. And we're we're trying to pull pistol copy paste and then move it over. It's of. very difficult being on somebody who is somebody who is actually part of like the, the rules arbitration and stuff like that where we're going through each and every single rule trying to figure out what we can keep, what we can change to make the rule set better. That's an enormous amount of work. It's yeah. not going to happen overnight. No. Um, the copy and paste is probably the easiest thing to do and then you just add in multiple guns. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's an enormous task, especially for people who aren't paid. Yeah. You have to understand, like the president is really one, president and, and DROI are really some of the only paid people in the entire organization. If we only have two or three paid people, but you have to rewrite the entire rule book, mm -hmm. that's that's an enormous task for anybody. For yeah, it's, it's enormous yeah. task for what they already have to do. There aren't enough paid positions for what the current workload is. Yeah. And then you throw something in like completely rewriting a rule book, and it's there, there's no way. It, there's it's impossible for one person to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, we ever shoot PCZ division? Mm-hmm. <laughs> by itself? Uh, <laughs> yeah, by itself. I did. I'm trying to think when. When? I'm trying to think when. <laughs> the PCZ Nationals? Oh, okay. 
Maybe. I'm going to PCC Nationals. How'd you do? That's a really good question. That was a long time ago. I don't remember. I'm terrible at PCC. It's, it, there's too much. There's too much going on. And minor scoring. Man, minor scoring is brutal. I don't know how you guys do it. I know it's rough. You have to like aim for the center of the target rather than just spray. <laughs> it's, it's not tough. It's not. Oh man. Uh, what else do I like? Oh, what else you got? PRS though. I have to know. Can you see? <laughs> I can see plenty far. I just can't like read up close. Okay. Yes. Uh, so why do you get into PRS though? Oh, calm down. Okay. If you ever see his phone, it's not that big. It's not that big. That's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's probably that that's should big. be edited now, but it's not going to be edited at all. There's no way. There's no, no way. way. Okay. Who's she? I know. What? Who's she? Yeah, that's true. Jamie. All right. Maybe Midas. Focus. Focus. So NRL or uh, PRS, why did you get into that world or how did you get in the world? Uh, PRS is actually pretty cool. Um, I got into it, I want to say 2017, maybe. Uh, purely as an off-season sport. Okay. So Florida's great because we can shoot year-round. But at the end of nationals, the last thing I want to do is run around with a gun and shoot after <laughs> I've been training the whole time. Yeah. So for me, it was find a sport that still involves guns that is the polar opposite. Mm -hmm. Lay down on the ground or off on the ground and shoot stuff slowly. But I hate it when you say that, though. You just gotta just lay there. <laughs> well, for the most part, PRS actually, it's it's, it's, it's not. It's off of barricades more than anything. Yeah. Um. I like it, well, for me, like, it's not for you, really, but uh, shooting three gun and, and long range, like, I've had to shoot 630 yards, Shan's had to do 625, like, that is positional stuff, yep. and, like, you're, you burped again. I didn't. Damn it. And, like, you're at NRL 22, though, it's really fascinating, the mechanics that go into shooting a rifle. You can yes. appreciate that more. Yeah, and from the mathematical aspect of it, I've always enjoyed it because it, you're basically weaponizing math, which and is great. Poker and <laughs> captain guards. So, yeah, you're, I mean, you're weaponizing math. You're, you're, you're able to hit stuff like in my matches we shoot anywhere from like 350 to 1200 yards mm -hmm. and i can stretch them out further if i want to but oftentimes mirage in florida just doesn't allow that yeah so it's fun because you get to play with every single type of bullet whether it's a, a six variant or a six five print variant or you know some guys shoot random wildcat stuff and you get to see now it's a lot of the ballistic calculators that do all the work for you yeah but it used to be like when the ballistic calculators were in their infancy like you do a lot of the math yourself yeah. um, and wind holes are still that way as far as like calculating for wind. Yep. It's kind of on the fly. Uh, I, I liked it. I liked the, I liked the whole aspect of it was, it was still involved shooting, but it was an entirely different sport. Mm -hmm. And I had to travel about three and a half hours to go shoot a match, mm. which was brutal. Yeah. Um, but it was the closest match to me. The next closest one I think was like seven hours. Uh, yeah. So I kind of looked at it as, like I do with most things, it's like, why don't I just I'll do just this do myself? <laughs> so, how far can y'all shoot out to, by the way, where you're at? 2000. Really? Yeah, JTAC Ranch uh, in Mulberry, Florida. We can shoot out 2000 rounds. Yeah. 2000, 2000 uh, rounds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not anymore, it's too expensive. <laughs> yeah. They do, actually, we're, we're talking about running an ELR match out there now where we do yeah. start shooting out to like 1800, 1900, 2000. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, my friend's getting into that and she, she wants to do the two mile and then make sure you range. Yeah. Just get at it. Yeah, the majority of the stuff from a PRS perspective, you never shoot that far um, because you're using, for all intents and purposes, a, a 308 <laughs> cartridge. Yeah. Right? You're, you're not using a magnum cartridge at all. So there's only so far you can push a round before it starts to go subsonic. And once it hits the transonic barrier, it starts to do weird shit. So, um, 
Science. Yes, science. Science. So what are you shooting PRS? Like, what's your gun? What's your optic? Uh, I shoot for a company called GCP Rifle Company. Uh, Rick Scrivens out of Venice, Florida. Dude's awesome. He's like a mad scientist when it comes to PRS stuff. Uh, he also sponsors my PRS match. So uh, we have a PRS match and a 22 match, and we alternate every month. And at the end of the season, we give away guns. We do all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, and he sponsors all that stuff, which is awesome. Oh, wow. um, so he, that dude is 100% dedicated. 100, I mean, he's waiting on 100% dedicated to the sport. His whole life revolves around the sport. Oh. Um, I just get to be the guy that comes in with a little bit of match management experience yeah. and put what he dreams on the ground. Yeah. Um, I, I design the stages. I do all that stuff. But from the... Like if he knew how to run a match, he would just do it all himself. Right. He just doesn't. He doesn't understand the the inner workings of practice score and how to set stuff up and payments within practice score and all yeah. the stuff that that takes time to learn. Um, and he just doesn't have that time. Yeah. So he sponsors the match. He does a phenomenal job. Um, we do a really good job of trying to give back to all of our members. Mm -hmm. And it's a it's a really really good time. Have you ever shot like a pro or a major, I guess, PRS match? Or you just shoot locally right now? No, I kind of leave that to Tucker Schmidt. He's, he's the USPSA He's USPSA, two-gun, three-gun, PRS. Like, dude picks up a gun, he yeah. wins the match. He doesn't really get to, well, he puts in the work. I right? know, but, God. You have, you have to appreciate that, that somebody who's able to. On all the platforms. Yeah, well, he doesn't just pick it up, right? No, he puts in the work. I'm saying that's all, that's impressive, though. Yes. He's good at all of it. Yeah. PRS is no different than USPSA in the aspect that it's still sideline and trigger press. Mm -hmm. um, where I was able to actually do really well in PRS when I was shooting it more was the efficiency standpoint. So a lot of guys are just very inefficient. They would shoot, they would slowly take their rifle <laughs> off the barricade, they'd grab their bag, they'd walk over, set it down real slow. <laughs> and it's like, you know you're on the clock. Like you gotta be able to you gotta be able to shoot stuff. And the more time that you are not aiming at a target, yeah the less time you have to aim at a target, get your wind call and shoot. Yeah. Um, so from an efficiency standpoint, I basically just took what I had in USPSA, which is <laughs> you know, minimize the amount of time you're not shooting right. and maximize your accuracy while you are shooting. And those two things married really well and I, I did really well when I was shooting a lot. Now I just don't have the time to do it. Yeah. Are you like pro am? Do you know? Um, I haven't shot a match. So when Shannon Kay took over PRS, uh, all that stuff was kind of introduced. I haven't even shot a match since Shannon okay. K took over. Okay. Um, I've kept my membership up because obviously I run matches. Yeah. But I have not done, and I should. It's just it boils down to time. Right. Yeah. I run my my match on the fourth Sunday of every single match, which already coincides with a USPSA match that I really want to shoot. And then if you take the other match that runs in Florida, that's even remotely close to me, that's still three and a half hours away, it's on the second Sunday which is another match that I enjoy <laughs> shooting. So it's like, do I do I want to shoot USPSA and enjoy that, or do I want to Work. shoot USPSA and then run prison rifle matches? Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing. If somebody in like my little group wanted to take over the USPSA match, or the, uh, the PRS matches, right. by all means, I'll come show you how to do it. That way I can go back to shooting USPSA. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would rather shoot a PRS match than running a PRS match. Yeah. Um, they're just getting into that the match management side and running matches is not an easy thing to do. And there's a lot of very, very fine details that make up the entire mechanism of how it all works. Yeah. And if one is missed, then it all falls apart. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, on the side, by the way, the, the hobby is fishing, fishing, fishing. <laughs> and that's actually kind of like my getaway from poker business right now. Yeah. Uh, the, the getaway from poker business right now is <laughs> fishing. Yeah. So I, I have my, I have my master's captain's license. Um, 
So I just get to say, I, like, I enjoy fishing. So now I just get paid to take people fishing. That's cool. That's cool. What do you actually like to, to catch? Are you wrangled? <laughs> I catch anything. Wrangled. Yeah, you know, like, that's so much fun. I mean, it is Florida. Like, alligator wrestling. Oh, no, but catching lean. Deep sea fishing is what I used to do. Yeah. And um, the group that we caught were, were massive. And then, of course, sharks would get on the line, all that fun stuff. It's fun. For me, it's a variety. Trigger fish are fun. Trigger fish are fun. Oh. Yeah. Um, for me, it's the variety. So mm -hmm. it depends on what I want to eat. It's like if, if I want to go out specifically for game species, you know, certain times of year I can go get tarpon or snook year round, redfish year round, um, or do I want to go get table fare? And then that's exactly what I do. So I'll go out and get table fare. Uh, if I'm taking clients, that's always my first question. It's like, what, what do you want? What's the target? Yeah. Do you want? What's do you want? Yeah, like, do you want? Yeah, because because as a captain, my job is put to. Put them on fish. I can put them on fish. Like I can put them on thousands of fish a day. Yeah. But it's not going to be anything worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's ultimately my question to them is like, what what care? What do you care about? Do you care about table fare? Okay, we'll go after this specific species. Do you What's like snapper better? Do you like grouper better? <laughs> Do you like game fish? Flower. Oh. So that's ultimately what it boils down to. Yeah. Okay. How'd you learn all that? I have been fishing since <laughs> basically the walk. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I've spent my entire life on the water. I took a brief <laughs> period of time where I stopped doing it. Um, I grew up on the north coast of Jamaica until I was about 12. And my grandfather. I was like not even the first mate. I was like the deckhand. So I was the I was the one responsible for cutting up all the chum and mm. doing all of the uh, the bait rigging and all that stuff. So I never actually got to catch fish. It was just always dealing the nastiest, bloodiest stuff. Is there any other hobbies that you have that we don't know about? Hobbies like knitting. Do you, do you do you badminton I, yet? No, I read a lot. That's probably my only other hobby. Uh, nowadays, I don't really have a lot of time for like traditional books. Like it takes me. A long time to read a traditional book, mm -hmm. but audiobooks I just throw on one and a half x speed, and I can get through them in a day or two. Can you process that fast? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So going back, yeah. So going back to poker stuff, I've kind of trained my mind mm -hmm. to process that stuff because online poker was unique in the fact that you could download your hand history from the day before, yeah, and then actually study what you've done correctly or incorrectly versus certain opponents. Okay. So it became online poker was great because it was a it's essentially like when chess first got simulations and you could go from player versus player and how much they studied mm -hmm. to player versus computer, computer and computer could solve all your problems. Yeah. And so when poker really hit its true boom in the aspect of, of skill level, we started creating simulations. And so now I can run a particular hand against a simulation and see thousands of outputs and it'll essentially say what the most advantageous, what the most profitable play is. Mm -hmm. So you're not able to memorize all those because even in like, like Hold'em, which I don't, I don't play a ton. Uh, Hold'em has, I think, 1,326 different hand combinations. So starting hand combinations. Mm -hmm. My primary game of choice and where the, I made the majority of my money was seven card stud and follow Moha. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, it's really entirely different that. games, but <laughs> you get way more cards. But okay. because you're able to get way more cards, each card that you get goes up by a factorial. So if you imagine, this is going to be really boring for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you imagine Hold'em, right? So you get you can you can get one of 52 cards, and then the second card is a factorial of one of 51 cards. Are factorials jacks? 
No, no, so a factorial uh, factorial is essentially like one times one times one times one, two times two times two times two. So factorial would be two times two. Three three is three times three times three. Four is four times four times four. That's okay. four. Five is five times five times. <laughs> Anyways, so if you get fifty-two possible combinations of one card <laughs> times fifty-one possible combinations of another card, mm -hmm. you get a factorial of thirteen hundred twenty-six. Oh. So essentially what that means is there are thirteen hundred twenty-six hands that you have to memorize starting and how to play them pre-flop. So that's before the cards come out to determine how you play. Um, and then obviously there's flop play, turn play, river play. <laughs> yeah. But when you're looking at Omaha, you get four cards. So now it's essentially, okay. it, it goes up exponentially. Hmm. And then seven cards done, you get seven cards. And there's game theory that, again, this is really <laughs> I love it. This is really, big time. Yeah. There's, there's game theory on a ways, proper way to play certain things, mm -hmm. bet sizing based on hand strength and the psychology behind the way that people do things and the speed of which people do things. A lot of people believe in like the old school, like physical tells, like I touched my nose right. or whatever it is, that means he has right. That's all bullshit. Um, there is none of that. It's it's all based on... <laughs> you and you scratch your ass, there's not like a cue that you... <laughs> no, I wish it was. I wouldn't... <laughs> Which coincidentally, a lot of perfect, like a lot of really, really good players or professional players will do, like if they notice that somebody is picking up on dumb mm -hmm. stuff like that, they'll do fake sales. Uh -huh. So they intentionally do things and then show a bluff, mm -hmm. and then when they have a huge hand, they do the exact same thing. Now this dude believes that, bluff, yeah. that yeah, it's got to be a bluff, so I'm going to call this ten thousand dollar bet. Gosh. Thank you very much for the money. <laughs> it's, it's like it, ultimately the reason why I love poker is because it's just it's mental jousting for money. Yeah. <laughs> which is great. With a little bit of like probability and variance built in. Uh, okay. You wanna know a really weird game that I actually know how to play? Can you guess? Goldfish. Fuck you. I've been cussing on podcasts a long time. Fuck you. No no no. Like really weird. My grandma taught all of us and bought all of the like cousins the set. And every year we'd get the new cards. Like, I wonder if you can guess it. The new cards? And there's new cards every year. There's like like um like poker, you have a hand, they're hands, and you have to... Magic the Gathering? No. I don't know. Mahjong. Ah. I actually know how to play play, and I have my own set, and like, every year there's new new uh, cards. And they give you new cards, right? Every year they have new actual... Yeah, because you want to think about it, poker, right? And you're going to have, well, it's different. But they have hands, so like... Playing oh, like hands playing on a computer. My, that's not Mahjong. You know that, right? What is that? That's bullshit. Like, I'm serious. So Mahjong, you actually have four players. Um, and then like you draw your, I'll say cards because it's easier for them, tiles though. Okay. Draw your tiles and you start out kind of, before you're actually looking at your card to figure out what hand, and the people that bet and like play Mahjong, they memorize that card when it, when it comes out. Yeah. So you're trying to figure out what you're going to kind of go for. So there's odds, there's evens, there's dragons, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Can you win money doing this? Yeah. Well, they bet. Oh, when It's right. fun. It's so fun. I have a set. We'll play. Oh, no, 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 I'm going to go do a little practice first. It's we'll, really cool though. And then we'll make some bets. And then you Mahjong when you have 13 tiles in your hand and like you're passing tiles too. So you start with passing and then you start with drawing. And then when you start drawing down, this is, this is so boring for the podcasters. No, 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 we're totally off the shooting trajectory and the like, the, how, like, do you enjoy playing cards with your grandmother? No, it's cool. So you cur you pass to the right, then you pass to the left, then you pass across. There's a whole thing. And then there's a courtesy pass where you do up to three tiles. You do one, you do none. And, um. When you draw a tile, you either figure out if you're going to keep it or you're going to throw it. If you throw it and the next person pulls a, a tile, technically as soon as you touch it on the table, it's dead. So if you're watching it and you know, like, you figure out, like, oh, hey, they're doing odds, I'm doing odds, I'm screwed, then you got to change your hand. Like, 
I love the game and nobody knows how to play it, right? And I would try to teach the neighborhood kids growing up and they're like, oh, I don't know. They mostly just didn't want to hang out with the kids. <laughs> no, you, you, I'm not going to talk about me on my podcast, so I was telling no, you. No, that's what we're supposed to be talking <laughs> about. Like, you don't want to know what I did to the neighborhood kids growing up. The world up. has determined I am boring. Let's talk about you. <laughs> no, I was just talking about Mahjong. <laughs> like, it's not the style stack game. <laughs> it's not Mahjong. It's really fun. It's like, you would enjoy that. Um, Yeah. Is there like legitimate money involved or is yeah. it like five dollars here, five dollars there? Not five dollars, no. And they the games go fast. Like they're like ten minutes over and you're turning and you're betting. And it's hmm. depends on where you're at. But it's really fun. And these ladies are fair. they've memorized the whole dance. Like you have to you have to hold Oh no no, no that's that like my primary game was seven yeah. card studs. So the idea behind seven card studs is you memorize all the up cards. Yeah. And so you can accurately determine whether or not you're drawing for a certain hand, whether it's a flush, mm -hmm. straight, whatever based on correct odds. And that's ultimately what the game boils around is because if you're not getting correct odds, you're essentially losing. Yeah. Over over 10 million hands or whatever it is, if you're not getting correct odds, you're losing. That's how the casinos make money. Yeah. Right, is they don't really care if you bet $5,000, $10,000, a million dollars. Over the long run, if they have a 4% edge in a game, mm -hmm. And they have, let's call it $100 billion in bets, mm -hmm. they're gonna win 4% of it. Yeah. That's why they're in business. Real good money. Yeah. Real exactly. good money. <laughs> so, <laughs> we've digressed a lot. Um, yes. Going back, go back to shooting now, 2022. No, no, back to you. Um, <laughs> what's your goal this year? What are you working towards? Hmm, that's a good question. Matches, certain finishes. What do you want to do? I don't actually really have a, a, a really big so goal this year. You're still on that level of no goals. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I retired a while ago. What am I going to have goals for? Um, <laughs> I don't necessarily have. I've actually gotten back to playing poker a little bit. Not nearly the stakes I used to play, but still really big stakes. So I have to kind of maintain my level of proficiency in the game. Yeah. Um, like your work nights are real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People yeah, don't no, realize that. No, no, they're work. Like most people like think it's bullshit, but I mean, I keep track of every single session it's that I play. Sheets and what day? One hundred percent. If this is the Mondays in that place, and you told me this, you go there, and that's, yeah. that's your research. It's pretty cool. Yeah, years ago, before like the apps were available, I used to, I actually built a query searchable. <laughs> Sorry, I know we talked about it. Like people are podcasts, like, these two are nerd. Yeah, one hundred percent. If the podcast learns anything from this, I'm a nerd that runs around and shoots guns. Um, the long and prosper, folks. Yes. Yeah. No, that's you. <laughs> Harry Potter. Live, I'm shooting the Harry Potter gun tomorrow. Live short, live fast. <laughs> um, yeah, so I actually built like a query searchable spreadsheet that I could go in and all the data inputs of everywhere I played during the week, what stakes I was playing, all that stuff. And like I could look and say, okay, I'm going to go play at Thursday, 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. I would type into my little fucking search box and it would tell me, okay, the most profitable game is in Bonita Springs. Uh -huh. And so I'd hop in my car and I'd go down there and I'd make 150 bucks an hour and then I'd come home. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so 2022, no goals. Good deal. Not really. Can I keep doing what I'm doing? That's really all it is. Like I'm, I'm, I love what I do. Um, so it's, it's keep doing what I'm doing. I think this year I've got some some interesting matches that I'm running. This one kicks, no, I already did Florida. No, I didn't do Florida Open. What did I do this year? Florida and Florida State? Florida State. Yeah, Florida State. Yeah, RM Florida State, uh, which was, that was fun. It was really, really fun. Did that with Mike Howell, um, recent inductee into the RM uh, coffers, I guess. We, would, we call it the institution. Welcome to the institution because we're all absolutely insane for doing this. Um, 
but Mike, Mike recently graduated. He's been running matches for a really long time. He's at Wyoming Antelope Club, just a little bit north of me. Does a phenomenal job. He had I know that had I known that he was going to go into the program, I probably wouldn't have done it at all because I just would have gone and worked for him. It's way easier to be a CRO than a CRM. Kind of like, why do you want to follow your staff from the boat? I have a boat. But your boat is my boat. But it may have, but it makes me money. Yeah. So nope. Um asset. I think the next one after this one, what am I doing next? I think I'm running classic nationals. That's a while. May. It is May. Nice. Yeah, I think that's the next one. I think I think Troy has me RM in Classic Nationals. Okay. Um, and I, I, that's actually the one I am really looking forward to. Yeah, that's a huge deal. Um, what I mean, division are you issue? Iron Sights and Limited? I haven't determined. Right now, I think I'm signed up. Right now, I'm signed up for Limited Ten. I will. I may wind up just no. RMing both limited staff. Limited Ten, bro. Let's see. Well, I sold my single stack, so there is no more single stack, and I can't get a forty with anybody that doesn't make a gun in a bull barrel. Minor. You really think? No, not minor. Oh, minor. okay. We're <laughs> digressing. Are you like trying to beat? Are you thinking you can beat me in something? <laughs> You're blind. <laughs> Iron sights. I will wear four X glasses <laughs> and not be able to see the fall lines. And still pressure. Rude. Side. Rude. Um, gosh, rude. What was I gonna say about that? Oh, okay. Are you done with your little? <laughs> 2022, yeah, run matches. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, oh my gosh. I know you've already talked about it, so wrapping up here. Um, you want to give any shout out to the sponsors that you have? Shout out to sponsors. Yeah. Uh, I kind of actually touched on all of them except for my man Brian at Hunter's HD Gold. Um, but Rick from GCP Rifle Company, obviously, dude's awesome. Built my Scrivenator 6000, 6 million Creedmoor. Um, Art Jensen at Axiom Custom Guns helped make me a GM. Appreciate that. Aww. All around awesome dude. Uh, good luck getting him to build a gun though. He's so busy, it's insane right now. Um, partly because of me. Good. <laughs> but he is a uh, dude is a mad scientist, like quite literally a mad scientist. I've never seen anybody break down a gun the way he does, like the, the mechanisms of a gun, whether it's timing. Uh, we rented this ridiculous camera that shoots like a bajillion frames per second yeah. and watched it in super slow motion. We tried a bunch of different comps. We tried different loads. Um, we tried different barrel configurations. I mean, just all sorts of stuff. And to give you an idea, his his first gun that he ever built, the serial number is testing one, two, three. <laughs> and so the whole premise behind it was to build a platform with a load and hand essentially a turnkey mm -hmm. device over to somebody. Yeah. Um, and so we spent an enormous amount of time with slow motion cameras and a lot of data and computer flow. And, I mean, just stupid amounts of work mm -hmm. to make a platform that is turnkey. Cool. Sells you a gun, here's the load, go shoot fast. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Um, and then obviously Brian, Hunter's HD Gold, making it so that I can see with iron sights. Appreciate that. <laughs> Keep my eyes well protected. Love it. Um, and then final question, just how can people find you on social media, like we're talking about uh, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff? Don't. What's your name? Steven, hold on, Style Keevan. Keevans, Keevans, whatever, yes. So annoying. Um, <laughs> Facebook I actually really don't post a whole lot on. Um, for the most part, I, I try to stay off of it because it's, Especially right now, it's insane. Oh my God! It's the, the everybody that I know is they went from being an infectious disease expert to an econ an economist to now they are oil and gas experts. Um, so I try to stay off Facebook because it's just insane, absolutely insane. Um, but Instagram is style underscore Kevens K E P H E N S. 
Um, <laughs> Kyle Stevens, switch the case. Yes. Yeah. Stop. Kyle Stevens, switch it. <laughs> oh, madam. Area yeah. 6, 2023. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be an interesting thing. Um, uh, yeah, if you want to, uh, if you want to pitch me ideas, I, I'm always. Uh, I wrote a brief thing on it, which is is far better than I could ever put into words myself. I had a lot of people help me put that together, <clears> and I thank them. Um, but ultimately, it does it does completely encompass how I feel about the sport and what I want to bring to it. So I appreciate the people that helped me, but it does boil down to. Um, I have some ideas to help bring uh, you know, more people into the sport and stuff like that, but ultimately when it boils down to the individual rules and division requirements and stuff like that, that's 100% a, a membership base, um, polling your constituents, mm -hmm. showing the actual poll. So <laughs> that's the thing that a lot yeah. of people don't do is they say they poll, um, but then they don't show the results. And, and it can be close, be far. It could be. Yeah, yeah. and I think yeah. that's really important. Yeah. Um, so showing the average that, though, right. yeah, and and then voting based on what people want. Like, I for that type of stuff, I'm nothing more than a voice mm -hmm. for the people, I would be the board representative for my area, yeah. Um, where I think I would shine, and as far as the area six stuff goes, is just the pure director standpoint from the organization, which is forward thinking, no more reaction. I would like to institute a lot more if X, then Y, right? If, if you're caught cheating, it's not, we don't even need to vote on it. You're just banned. Yeah. Period. Why are we wasting an entire session yeah. on voting when there's like ten people that prove you cheated? Ten rules, and that's yeah. simple. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that's that's a very simple from from a computer language standpoint. It's just if X, then Y. <laughs> yeah. If this happens, then Y happens, and we don't need to vote on it. It's it doesn't even need to be discussed. Yeah. It's done. It's a done deal. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of the board meetings. Are, are centered around a lot of those decisions that should be almost shooting a waste of seconds to think on. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Instead, it should be focused on growing the sport. Love it. Kyle, thanks for joining me. Yeah. This is, well, thank you for joining me. This is actually where I'm staying. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Let's see. Uh, well, you got a lot of sectionals go. So, yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Thank Have you. Fun. Your work starts tomorrow. No, that's already started. <laughs> I know. My work, work started actually three months ago. That's how that's how arming works. Well, <laughs> Your work starts tomorrow. No, I cheat I know. And our, yeah, I know. Exactly. I know. My work started three months ago. Oh man. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, yeah, check out Kyle. He, he's kind of a good dude. So good luck. Um, your campaign manager for you. I got I got two. <laughs> All right, guys. Stay tuned for the next episode. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Reticle Up podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Follow along on social media at Reticle Up or 3 Gun Kenzie.